he's a really qualified person to speak to us on the book of Acts. Let's welcome Dr. Scott Harrow. Thank you. Bless you. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the invitation. It has been uh, lovely to speak with you before and to come back and see how you have grown as a church. And it's great to hear about the medical mission as well. I do keep up uh, in touch with Chris and hear about your church, so it sounds great. Good to see you again. Yeah, lots of friends here today. Well, guys, uh, the reason I've been invited uh, today is that you're launching a series on the book of Acts, and the title for that series is joining in God's adventure, okay, going on an adventure together. So what I would like to do today is to give you the backstory for us joining in God's adventure that's described in the book of Acts. I want to go to Genesis and talk about the God who begins an adventure with human beings and a God who brings about a kingdom of life in Genesis 1 and 2. And then I want to talk about the problem that faces us all, And then I want to talk about Luke, who writes Luke and Acts to tell us all that God has not given up on his project of a kingdom of life, and that the book of Acts is about Jesus and his mission to bring life to people, and people are to participate in this kingdom of life and to develop the kingdom of life in themselves and in others. That's the amazing thing about the book of Acts, is that what we see is a transition from Jesus preaching the kingdom of life, the kingdom of God in the Gospels, to suddenly in the book of Acts, you've got stories about human beings that have been rebuilt, renewed, refreshed, included in God's kingdom of life, And suddenly it's through them that Jesus brings life to others. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing transition. So the book of Acts is really important for all Christians to understand the connection between God's creation of life, the problem of sin, Jesus coming and then sending his spirit, and then our lives today. Okay? If we don't understand how we fit into the big picture of God's adventure with humanity, then it's not going to make sense what we do in our everyday. So the book of Acts is about making that connection. Okay, we're together? Yeah, great. Okay, so what today is going to involve is moving through the Bible. So if you have your phone or a physical Bible, it doesn't matter, but I will be asking you to keep up with me working through the Bible together. Okay, so let's start with the kingdom of God in the book of Genesis. Now, in the book of Genesis, if we can have the first slide, the big idea, the first slide is good, is flourishing, okay? What we see in Genesis is that God creates a kingdom of life. And the big word that's used in the Bible to describe this idea is this notion of shalom, which means peace, okay? If you go to Israel, you walk in and out of shops, you say, hi, g'day. You don't say g'day, you say shalom, okay? So, shalom in the Old Testament is a concept that means peace, but it doesn't mean absence of war. It means thriving as a person. It means wholeness. It means life. So, let's look at Genesis 1. We're just going to whip through 
and we're going to look at this idea of the God of life. Okay, so in, in the beginning it says, in Genesis 1.1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And what God does is he builds in a number of distinctions in creation, a number of realms. So, for example, early on in uh, Genesis 1, 1 verse 3, he says, Let there be light, and there's light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And then you have day and night. And within these cycles of day and night, what God does is, in verse 10, God called the dry land earth and gathered the water into the seas and God saw that this was good. So what we see in Genesis is a God who's developing different realms. Seas, why does he create a sea? Well, in Genesis 1 verse 20, God said, let the water swarm with living creatures. What God makes, he fills with life. That's the idea, guys. He's the God that creates water. He fills it with fish and all sorts of swarming things. Um, then he's created the air and the earth, and we see in verse 21 that God creates every winged creature according to its kind. So God's filling not just the seas with life, but the air is filled with life as well. How about the ground? In verse 24, God says, let there be all kind of creatures on the ground. Okay, so as it says here, he creates livestock, like cows, creatures that crawl, all kinds of bugs, and then the wildlife of the earth, the deers, the kangaroos, the badgers, all those kind of animals. This tells me a lot about God. What's God's interest? God is a God of life, okay? That's what he's on about. I wonder what your big idea of God is. What's he like? God is a God of life. That's his great interest. It's because he is the eternal living one. That's why when he creates, it's a creation that reflects him. And then even more importantly, what God does is he creates these funny creatures that you might recognize called images of God. And they are going to reflect him in a very special way. So when I say to you, Dude, you remind me of someone. I got someone big in mind, okay? You remind me of God because you're an image of God, as it says here. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. So God creates these creatures that are going to reflect his relational aspect, his creative aspect, and his moral aspect because we're to reflect god to one another and to creation how do we know that well god says that, that these people are going to rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky the livestock of the whole earth human beings are the ones through whom god is going to manage and develop his kingdom of life that's how important human beings are okay we're used to seeing people all the time, and sometimes they're kind of annoying. But the fact is, people are very important. We take them for granted. It's like family members. You take them for granted, okay? Don't take images of God for granted. They're very, very special, okay? They're very special. So it says in Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his image. 
He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the earth. That's the idea. And that's why in Genesis 2, God says um, to the human beings to name the animals, to till the earth, okay? So when we think about human beings, there's clearly a relational component. We're to mirror God and to reflect him. And man and woman are made together. And in their oneness, they reflect God together as in their individuality. That's interesting, isn't it? We aren't just images of God as individuals, but together in relationship, we reflect God. Because we're reflecting something of the fact that God is God, the Trinity. God is Father, Son, Spirit eternally. He is always in relationship with himself. He's a relational being. So if you find within yourself this drive to connect with other people, it's entirely appropriate. That is what it is for a human to thrive, to be in relationships. It's very important. And the biblical story is so much about restoring people to God and people to people, isn't it? It's about reconciliation. That's because as an image of God, your relational aspect is central to reflecting who God is because you're mirroring what God is like. And as I said, we all have this creative functional aspect. Just as God is the great builder, just as God is incredibly creative with creation, think about giraffes, I think that's highly creative. Kangaroos, I think God was very creative in Australia, right? Platypuses, all kinds of stuff. Okay, just as God is creative and has these amazing capacities, so do you, so do I, so do all human beings. And we reflect a whole lot of cultures here, which is really nice, actually. You know, think about your cultural background, the culture in which you live. Think about the language. Think about the art. Think about the great people that have developed music and theatre, ways of thinking, institutions. It's amazing what people can do. And that's why... I've chosen this slide, by the way. It's, you've got a band down the bottom playing. You've got the lights, the technology. You've got the crowd celebrating. And then just these balloons full of color. That is what humans can do because we're made in the image of God. Other creatures can't do this kind of stuff. But we can because we're images of God. We're reflecting God's creativity and functional capacities. Images of God are amazing, amazing creatures. And finally, we have the ethical aspect, the moral aspect. In the garden, God says to the human beings that he will dwell with them because he is a holy God. But they must obey him and not sin. They must not eat from the tree of good and evil. So God's presence with people is related to them reflecting his holy nature. Okay? So this is the kind of beings that God wants to develop his creation through. God wants to develop the kingdom of life through his images that are relational, creative, and moral. God doesn't want the Garden of Eden to stay as a little unit. God actually wants the Garden of Eden to expand. The original vision is that this kingdom of life would expand through the universe and be the only experience for human beings. 
the kingdom of life. That's God's purpose. And what God does in the big picture is that he is recreating humans so that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will eternally participate in a kingdom of life with God, being creative and being morally pure forever. That's the big vision. And you see that in Revelation 21 and 22. If we can have the next slide. Sadly, we see that what happens with human beings in Genesis 3 is this temptation where humans don't respect the dignity of God and they don't respect the kind of life that God wants for them. The devil tempts them in Genesis 3, 4. He says, God knows you won't die if you eat from the fruit. Your eyes will be opened, and here it is, guys, and you will be like God. You won't reflect him. You'll be like him. That's what's tempting. So here's the thing. You've got all these amazing images of God, okay? Relational, functional, moral, who then decide to do their own thing. It's a disaster because they're so powerful. What I do relationally with others has a massive impact on them. If I relate to someone sinfully, I can damage them. If I use my creativity and all my functional capacities in a selfish way, I can make a mess of culture, I can make a mess of home, I can make a mess of my work. Think of Hollywood right now. It's a cultural disaster zone, okay? That's what it looks like when human beings use their creativity in a selfish and evil way. And we distort the amazing capacity we have for life. You know, try watching Netflix and finding a series that says it's all about life. Let's pursue life together. I would love to find that. Okay? But humans aren't pursuing life. And ethically, when we're distorted, we go our own way and we lead people away from the purity that gives life. So the story of the Old Testament and the story of human beings is a story of shadowy relationships. We don't relate to God well. We only relate to him when something goes wrong or we need something. It's a story of creativity used in a very warped way, and it's a story where we're selfish and we're not pure. Guys, I teach at Ridley College now, but I also taught in the States for quite a while. And I used to teach an intensive course on history. Two weeks, Monday to Friday, 600 BC to uh, the 21st century. And when you do human history, what you find is humans develop technologies, and as soon as they develop technologies, what do they do with them? They weaponize them. Okay? That's what we're like. There's a massive problem. Okay? And this is where the good news of Jesus comes in, if we can have the next slide is that he comes to answer these big doubts that you might have. And you've all experienced them. You experience a world in which you've got these amazing mech warrior-like beings, these images of God, running around doing their own thing. 
and we cause so much damage over generations and during our own time that we wonder, is there a God of life? How is a God of life related to this wrecked world? I've had that question. I know a lot of you have too. It's a difficult world that we inhabit. It really is. We also have questions to do with life. How can life be meaningful when it's so frustrating? You know, you try to get ahead and you always seem to get knocked back. Whether it's disease, a difficult boss, a frustrated project, bad luck and insurance doesn't pay out, a false accusation made against you, it's just so frustrating. So many people give up on God and then they say, well, what's the meaning of a universe that's just winding down? I make so little impact on history and so do you that they say there's no impact, no meaningfulness to life. These are really big questions. And believe me, if you spend time with people and get to know them well, they're questions that people ask. And finally, is personal restoration possible? I'm 40 years old now. I've made enough mistakes and I know people that have made enough mistakes that you wonder whether you can come back. Your word today was really helpful, Pastor Roland. Thank you. The righteous do fall down, but falling down is very difficult and we can get stuck. How can we come back? So these are questions we face. And what Luke, the author, does is he writes two books. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. So if we can have the next slide. What Luke does in his first book, which is a biography about Jesus, is he undertakes a careful investigation because he wants to tell you about the person who can restore you to life, who can restore meaning to you, because Jesus alone can heal you relationally, functionally, and morally and that's why Jesus matters he can uniquely heal and reset images of God in such a way that we can mirror God okay that's the importance of Jesus so if you want to turn to Luke 1 so if you go all the way into your New Testament Matthew Mark Luke and John have a look at Luke 1 1 to 4 I love it about Luke that he gives you a little purposeful introduction to all his books. Luke was a doctor, as well as being a gospel and um, history writer. So he's got a very careful, observant mind. And what he does in Luke 1 is the following. He says, Many have undertaken to write a story about the events that have been fulfilled amongst us. Luke is somebody who's got the big picture in mind. That's why I started with the book of Genesis, okay? Because Luke is a convert and he understands that there's a big picture about the kingdom of God. However, what's happened in his own time is that he has seen the kingdom of life break in to people's lives and community lives in an amazing way. And this is the fulfillment of all those promises that we have in the Old Testament, that one day God is going to bring fruit and life and greenness and vitality to a place where it was not. 
The lights are dimming, aren't they? That's amazing. <laughs> Luke is telling us that the time has come. The new age where God will refresh, give his spirit, and it happens through Jesus. But look at what Luke does. Have a look at Luke 1 verse 3. It seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you an orderly sequence, most honourable Theophilus. Luke carefully investigates the life of Jesus. And importantly, in verse 2, it tells us that what he does is he researches the original witnesses, okay, and the servants of the word. You can see that there in your Bibles. So Luke, the doctor, the careful observer of human beings, of diagnoses to do with sin, he knows that Jesus is the key and he goes way back to research the full story of Jesus from his conception all the way to his resurrection. And he writes a gospel for you because it's the most important thing you can read. And that's the clue we get in verse 4. He writes to Theophilus so Theophilus might have certainty about the things that he has been instructed. Theophilus, your faith matters so much that you must be certain about this. That is how important this is. Okay? So this is the character of the writer of Acts. It's Luke, the author, the careful investigator. Okay? And you're going to recognize his style when you come to the opening of the book of Acts. So turn to Acts with me, and I want you to observe the opening of the book of Acts. And you're going to see clearly it's the same mind, the same author at work, the same priorities. He says, I wrote my first narrative, Theophilus, that means God lover, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Okay, so that is what the book of Luke is about. That's what my first book was about, he says. It's about Jesus. That's the key. Because Jesus is the game changer. He is the one that makes a difference. Don't get distracted from Jesus. Keep your eye on him. Because in the light of history, he is the only one that matters. He is the one that fixes our problem. Luke goes on to say, um, to talk about Jesus giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Jesus continues his ministry. That's one of the big points of the book of Acts, is that Jesus' work hasn't stopped once he goes to heaven. He sends his spirit so that we can participate in and develop the kingdom of life. Okay, so we're clear about that? Jesus is still active and well. The thing is, the way that Jesus works isn't running around healing you, doing an exorcism here. It's not limited to what he can do in one location anymore. What Jesus can do is worldwide, and it's going to begin with the apostles. Jesus will restore, and it begins worldwide with the apostles. And the big message is that the readers of Acts have the confidence that Jesus is alive and that he's working through his spirit. So that's the takeaway for you, by the way. You need to walk away from today, from 
going deep into the book of Acts, knowing that Jesus is still calling people to participate in the kingdom of life. You know what? I watched the, the videos that we just saw about the youth. What we were seeing in them is energy, creativity, relationships, testimonies of God changing lives. That is exactly what Luke wants for us, is to understand that God is still at work, still bringing life, and that is called the kingdom of God. We are to participate in the kingdom of God and to develop it. And investing in youth is a wonderful way of doing it. And I loved seeing the fact that you've got that barbecue as well, right? It's at all ends of life and throughout the spectrum of life that God brings his healing, restoring kingdom. And it doesn't end after that. After death, we are joined into the eternal kingdom where we will experience the fullest way of being a human in perfect relationships, functions, and purity with God and others. That's the great message. And we have that here in Acts, in the introduction. Uh, if you look at verse 3, after he had suffered, Jesus presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. Jesus never loses sight of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of life that God set up in Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus is about that. So what we have in the Bible is an entirely coherent message. It doesn't tell you one thing at the beginning and another thing in the middle and then something else at the end. It's one big message about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of life. God wants to bring his people into his presence, into a special place where that people will live as his household. That's the idea in Genesis 1 and 2. That's the idea in Revelation 21 and 22. From beginning to end, and in the middle, the message of the kingdom of God. So having been through that background, what I want to do now is provide you with three snapshots. Because this is what Luke does. As the book unfolds, Luke shows you what it looks like when people take on and develop the kingdom of God. What does it look like practically when I take on Jesus' message that restores me relationally, that restores my functional and creative capacities? And what does it look like when Jesus heals me morally so that my desires are God's desires what can it possibly look like and so what Luke is going to do is throughout his book he gives you snapshots polaroids okay blog posts okay let's start with the first snapshot which has to do with a community now I've got a um a picture here of a, a church in Chicago it's a very interesting church I've got some friends there it's a very mixed church. You've got some Hispanic people background. You've got some Anglo-Saxon background people. You've got some Asian people background there as well. And I love this picture because they're next to this great monument, uh, which is called the Bean, supposedly the Cloud. And the idea is that the idea of reflection. This is a church that wants to together reflect God's character to the world. 
And guys, that's the message of Acts chapters 1 to chapter 7. That's the first big idea in the book of Acts. That God develops a community that reflects his character to the world. And you can see again the connection with Genesis, right? People made in the image of God. God brings about a new community through the Spirit. Oh, the whole community reflects God. It's very simple. But it's consistent, which is great. So, uh, Chris, Pastor Chris has told me that you guys have been going through the story of Pentecost recently. So he said, Scott, just skip through that because the people know what you're talking about. So I'm going to do that. And I'm going to talk about the marks of the community. The early community in Acts has a number of distinguishing marks which mean that it stands out a lot. My expertise in history is the Roman Empire. And if you think about the community that's described in Acts 2, 42 and following, it's very unique. Luke tells you what this community looks like because they are driven by the Holy Spirit and reconstituted into a new people. And it's fascinating. Have a look with me. Acts 2, 42 down to the end. It's talking about a group of people who devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, these are a group of people who know that the teaching about Jesus is essential to their identity. They are devoted to, okay, that's strong language, they are wrapped around. Their perspective on the world is shaped not by their experiences of difficulty, not by broken hopes, not by difficult family backgrounds, but it's shaped by the kind of God that brings life, Jesus Christ, and his healing, reconciling ministry. So it's shaped around this apostolic teaching. They develop and devote themselves to fellowship. See, the relational aspect of human beings is restored. They're developed and they are dedicated to fellowship. Humans aren't meant to live alone. We're to be in relationship with one another. And it's amazing that as soon as a new community of life is created, boom, automatically, in relationships. It just happens. Because that is the intent for humans. And guys, there's such a cultural pressure to be a self-standing, isolated individual these days. It's crazy. But you know what? I, I write a number of books... And I always have a dedication and acknowledgement section. Because I have to acknowledge the fact that these books don't happen, me thinking in my study. They come about through friendships, through being mentored, through comments at dinner, through reading other people's work. It happens in community. All our best stuff happens in community, guys. They were dedicated to relationships and fellowship. Teaching about the truth, bonded in fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. We don't stop being sinners. We're forgiven sinners, but we anticipate the day that Jesus returns. And that eternal perspective is very important because it gives you a reason to say, no, culture, I'm not going to put things above people. I'm going to put people first. Okay, because what really matters in the long term, in God's perspective, I know because of the resurrection, 
And I know that the resurrection says that our continue, community will continue, but my curriculum vitae won't. Okay? My private property won't continue. That is limited by a bigger understanding of what God is about, and that is life and relationships. And then also we have a great devotion to prayer, to deep dependence on God. You know, you know why that is? It's because the temptation was to be God, right? But prayer is the opposite. God, I need you. Please help us. Please restore, heal, guide, enable. And we did that this morning. And we pray about everything from property licenses to physical healing to emotional healing because we're saying, God, I'm an image of yours. Restore me. That's what we're saying. So they're the marks of the church. And you can see in verse 44 that all the believers were together and held all things in common. Once again, in the Roman Empire, there's no social welfare. So if a family falls on hard times, you freeze to death because there's no heating the way we have it, okay? No one to help you if your family disowns you. So who helps you? Christians, okay? They sell their holiday house in Phillip Island and they have that as God's play money and they distribute it according to people as they have their need. This is unique. I've studied all kinds of religions in the Roman Empire. Really weird mystery cults, very macho ones for soldiers who would baptize themselves in blood and all that kind of stuff. Okay, there's no one else that does this sort of thing because the human drive is towards the self, not towards others. So what we see in the early Christian communities is a drive to other people in a very unique way. Is that going to auto-eject? That's my, it's my big concern. I'll be blasted out of here. No? I'm okay. It's not the heresy meter. Don't worry about it. Okay. So that, that's a snapshot of community. That's a snapshot of community. Um, and so it involves being very different in the world. I just want to illustrate what this might look like uh, from a story that my daughter and I, uh, we went to the States. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the trip in a minute. But when we arrived to Los Angeles, this was just three months ago, you know, I don't know if, has anyone been on that Qantas flight that arrives at six o'clock in the morning? Yeah, it's rough, isn't it? You've got to spend all day awake to get in time with the Americans, but you've just spent like 13 hours in economy class, not sleeping, getting hip pain, you know, eating the economy class lasagna or whatever it is. It's just, you're not in a good place before you arrive. And then you arrive and it's harder. <laughs> Welcome to the happiest place on earth. Okay. So we were there, we're walking around trying to stay awake. At 6 p.m. we're really ready to go home and uh, hit the 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 like sleep time and we find a wallet and as I pick it up I realize it's full of money and I loved what my daughter said she said oh they're so lucky we have found it because we're going to give it back okay that was her first instinct before who does it belong to okay that's what it looks like when you're Christians your first instincts towards people towards God towards possessions they get changed and here's the coolest bit of the story. 
We go back to the hotel, jump on Skype, I call the emergency number I find in there. There's like visa cards, everything. Um, and it turns out it's the sister of the guy that had lost the wallet, but she lived in another state. So we organized to get the wallet to the guy in a kind of a complicated way. And at the end, she goes, oh, but you know, what's your name? You know, I want to say thanks. I said, no, don't worry about it. May God bless you. And she goes, oh, may God bless you, okay? <laughs> she understood, right? This was Christian code, okay? <laughs> yeah. May God bless you, I know. All right. And you know what? Then I thought, yeah, she is the one who's looking after her elderly brother, okay? In this situation, long term, I'm relating to a woman who's caring for her elderly brother. Isn't that great? So then what I did was a little cheeky. I put a little note inside the wallet. And I said, dear Joseph, may you continue to know God's kindness through small acts of mercy, like getting your wallet back. Put the note in. <laughs> I didn't know if it was a Christian or not. Always evangelizing. All right. Yeah. That is the way we're to roll in the world as Christians, renewed. Okay, so let me give you two more quick snapshots as I finish. I've spoken about a community renewed, and that's what um, the author does, all the way to chapters 5 and 6, where we meet two threats to the community. The first threat is lying to the Spirit, and Ananias and Sapphira over money. And then we have another threat, which has to do with favoritism and culture in chapter 6. And these are overcome well. The outcome of overcoming this issue to do with favoritism, with distributing food, is that what they Christians do is that they go, we need to work according to our gifts now. We need some administrators in place to carefully administer the food. And we need some who are going to dedicate themselves to praying and teaching. And what you see from them is a group of people with all kinds of gifts... Philip the Evangelist, Paul the Apostle, okay? They're all working with their gifts to spread the kingdom of God. Now, the big player, I guess, is Saul. That starts in Acts 8, okay? So the focus is not on communities now. It's on a person with gifts. However, we meet a very interesting character in Acts 9, Tabitha. Can we have the uh, scriptural reference in Tabitha? Tabitha is a snapshot of a single person. Just like we have snapshots of Peter, Philip, Stephen, and so forth. It's a snapshot of what a gifted person can do when they understand the kingdom of heaven. This is a wonderful story because it's a story, as it says, um, about a woman who was dedicated. This is Acts 9.36. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. This is someone who has the gift of mercy. I'm just going to read through the passage because a number of important details are there. In Joppa, that's by the seaside, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay coming with us. 
Peter got up and he went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And here's the key, guys. All the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Okay, remember, this is a context where there's no social welfare and if you lose your property, there's no one to help you. And the most vulnerable people in this situation are widows. Okay. Often too old to get remarried. Often have dependents. Okay. They have two options. And this was kind of common. They sell themselves and their kids into slavery to join someone else's household so that you get to sleep inside, at least. You get some food. Or they sell themselves into prostitution. And prostitution back then was very rough, as it is today. Very, very rough. So what we have here is a female disciple. Notice in verse 36, a disciple named Tabitha. Tabitha is a disciple. There's no doubts about it. She is a follower of the kingdom of heaven. And what she does is exactly what we are to do. Develop the kingdom of life where you are. So what she does is she has a gift of mercy. She knows about clothes making. And importantly, she makes clothes for the widows. However, when you think about the garments they make and that she does it with them, it's more likely that she also set up a micro-business. Very early example of Christians setting up micro-businesses to help others. Isn't this amazing? What a great person. She's somebody who's got it. Somebody who understands that we need to help each other. Christian freedom is freedom to serve. That is one of the great insights that Paul gives us in the book of Galatians. And Paul and Luke travel together. And so Luke is giving us a story that's entirely consistent with the Christian idea that freedom is freedom to serve. Can I encourage you to serve others with your gifts? It may be a gift of mercy. And believe me, coming alongside people is very significant because you are an image of God that's reflecting God's character to someone who's down. It's one of the most important ministries that God calls us to do. We embody God's presence to one another. Whether you are technically gifted, and thank you very much, Isabel, for helping and in administration. Whether you're an evangelist, yes, yes, thank you very much. Whether you're a musician, whatever your role is and your gifting, you're called to participate and develop the kingdom of life. This is the adventure. That's why a series on the book of Acts is called an adventure. Because you're in adventure mode. And it's not something you think about, it's your life. Let me tell you a brief story. The reason Grace and I were in the States was that a friend and I had been corresponding. He lives in Atlanta, in Georgia. They had had some very difficult situations in their church, and he knew me because I used to be his lecturer, and he said, Scott, come over. And like Peter, I traveled. I went to that church. We did some seminars on suffering, on lament. I met with the leadership team because together we're better. Okay? You share your gifts with one another. That's why you help each other out. So that's Tabitha. We've had a snapshot of a community in the early chapters of Acts. 
got a snapshot of individuals now using their gifts. You see that? And then finally, we have a snapshot of a family and friendship group. That's what we have in Acts chapter 10, where you've got the final big transition in the book of Acts, where the gospel is not just for Jews and kind of Jewish people, it's actually for people like us. No Jewish background at all. And here the gospel goes to the whole world. And we have this picture of Cornelius. That's not him. But in the Bible, we have a picture of Cornelius. Um, The idea is that together with the community in which you are, you have experienced the good news. And that shapes the kind of people you are. And the idea here is that there's an open table. This image wants me to sit down and enjoy. I grew up in Argentina, so I know the kind of food that they're going to enjoy. I want to be there. Okay, so the story of Cornelius is an invitation for you, your friends and your family to be hospitable to others for the sake of the gospel. What we have in the story of Cornelius, and I'll let you read this later, is a man who sees a vision and he knows that he's going to hear about God because the disciples are coming. And you know what he does? It says he invites all his friends and his family. He had gathered them together relatives and close friends it tells you that in 1024 acts makes a point of demonstrating that you live in a network of friendships and family and you need to experience god together that's right pay attention that means god's ringing god's calling and he's calling you okay this is experience preaching isn't it yeah uh he's calling you and your family and your friendship groups who know Christ to open up. And with Cornelius, we see the baptism of the first household. And they open up their household as a base of mission. And I know from um, Peggy and the Ong family that this is something that that you do well. It's opening up your homes. So that's what's fascinating about Acts. The church, the individual, the home, the whole realm that you inhabit as a Christian is about participating and developing a kingdom of life in which people are restored relationally in terms of their capacities and in terms of their moral life. That is what the kingdom of God is about. Let me end by going to the end of the book of Acts. Just so we don't miss it, Luke is a good teacher. And what he tells us at the end of the book of Acts is that Paul is in Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire. By the end of the book of Acts, this good news of renewal has gone all the way into the heart of the most powerful empire on earth. And in that empire, we meet Paul, Acts 28 verse 30. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house. And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. The kingdom of God can go even into the darkest, most powerful realms in the world and cannot be restrained. And do you know what? By the year 325, Christians have taken over the Roman Empire. That's a fact. And they did that without violence. They loved their way, okay? 
they loved their way into developing the kingdom of life in the middle of a really hostile empire. You know what they were famous for? Picking up babies on the street. Romans who had unwanted children would just expose the baby, take the clothes off, leave it outside overnight, it would die, and then chuck it on a rubbish heap. Christians did acts like picking up unwanted babies. These acts of life is what the kingdom of God is about. And the challenge is, guys, for you to reflect God's character, reflect his creative ability, and develop the kingdom. Here, individually, and in your household and friendship groups. May God bless you as you carry on this series in the book of Acts. And I'm so glad you're doing it because it's life-changing. And it's about reality. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for life. Thank you that you are the God of life. Lord, we want to come before you now as servants, as images in humility. We don't want to be gods. We want to serve you. Father, would you open up the way for us to be healed first? and be healed in the process of serving others. Lord, you know the openings and the ways in which we can help develop your kingdom. Open those doors, Lord. We need you to open those doors. Please bring life to those we know around us. Lord, you know our friends and our families and our co-workers that don't know you and they don't have life. Release them. Release them from captivity and from blindness. And use us, Father. We want to be part of this adventure. We want to be part of it. We want to sense the excitement, see the renewal. And Lord, we praise you that even death won't stop this adventure. Oh, Lord, we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth where we're going to be banqueting with you forever. Thank you for that vision and thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you that you give us the gift of yourself. We praise you, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Amen. What a powerful message. So simple yet so profound. And it all comes.